hey folks, welcome. Well, here we are, the Not Necessarily Mad Podcast, with me, Eric Collinsworth, and G.B. Meyer. So thanks for joining us. For our usual listeners, you may have noticed a change in our opening music. That was Flat Five's version of the Christian Scott tune, West of the West. As time goes on, we'll be switching up some of the tunes that we use on the podcast. We want to thank Jeff Garrett for the use of his tune, Burdentown, for our kickoff, and thanks to Flat Five for the use of their music. By the way, if you want to hear a full version of West of the West and other tunes of the jazz variety, check it out at Flat Five's website, flat5va.com. On this episode, GB and I talk a bit about a phrase that came up in conversation and decided we should explore it a little bit more, the idea of musical omnivores. So let's get right to it. Well, hey, GB. Hey, Eric. How are you, buddy? I am doing surprisingly well, given all that's going on. How are you? I'm uh, Likewise, I'm doing okay. I'm having a pretty good day today. Given your work schedule the last couple of weeks, yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's been a little, it's been a little congested, but today it kind of lifted, and uh, you know, it's been a good afternoon. We had a cool storm right before I got on the phone with you, and uh, right on. yeah, so no, it's been a good day. Right on, right on, right on. Yeah. So hey, look, I know we talked earlier, and I want you to know I came prepared for this conversation, and there's no pre- no preview to this. Okay. Um, but when we talked almost a week ago. I reminded you of a time where, when I first met you, um, I think we had been talking about dead. We've been talking about blues and stuff like that. I think we were hanging out with Maxwell and with Christian, right. and then kind of out of nowhere, you said to me, "You know, uh, I bet you probably like uh, Vienna by Ultravox, don't you?" <laughs> right. Which really took me back because I did not see that coming. I'm like, "Oh, okay," and I thought to myself, "I'm going to get along great with Eric. This guy's clearly a musical omnivore." And uh, I know we had a laugh over I, that. I, I, I dig that phrase. That is such a great, I mean, a musical omnivore. Just it, it, You don't have to explain it at that point. Well, well, you don't. And the thing is, you know, maybe it takes one to know one. I don't know. But I know this for sure. You are one. And um, it, it, Well, like, like you said, it takes one to know one. So, um, I, you know, I thought it would be fun for us to, uh, when we had a chance to sit down and had microphones on us, to actually compare notes on some of the things that, whether they are cool or ridiculous or um, sublime or absurd, uh, whatever they are, what are some of the things that are inside of our um, omnivore kit? And is there anything that's an exception? What is not on the omnivore diet? I've got a couple of those, too. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure exactly where to start, but I will start with this, because this one's, I think, pretty accessible. Uh, It's an artist, and that's Django Reinhardt. And I love the fact that these days with streaming and with the intelligence baked into everything, uh, you can build independent channels. I I can listen to Django Reinhardt play jazz guitar anytime I want. I don't have to borrow anyone's records, and I can just let it roll. Ain't technology great? It's just swell. Um, and I think a cousin of that is I really actually like a lot of stuff, a lot of music that came out of the 1930s, uh, early days of radio uh, kind of taking hold. Yeah. Somewhere between the jazz age and between the big band sound, there was this explosion of, of Hollywood and radio, um, you know, popular song. Um, the, the Bing Crosby era. Yeah, and you even have things like Marx Brothers baked into that too, you know, and a lot of other, there's any number of, 
combinations of jazz and crooning and uh, right. and and other even novelty songs that are a lot of fun. You know, the idea was just to get radio play wherever you were. Right. Yeah. How about you? Do you have anything that's kind of in a historical uh, twist like that? You know, not well, too controversial. I, mean, I, I do. I do dig. I do dig Reinhardt, and and more so because he overcame the. He developed a style of playing based on an injury that he had. He, his hand caught. He uh, he was a gypsy, and his uh, yeah. And it, the camp caught on fire, and it burned his hands and his uh, on his left hand, which is the cording hand on a guitar and it basically melted his hand his fingers together they couldn't separate them out so he developed a whole new way of playing guitar based on what he could do not what he couldn't do and i've always i always found that amazing and and i dig his music too and it that whole gypsy jazz uh uh hot jazz they call it or paris jazz is just i i do dig that and, and I, I would i would put that on the plate of the omnivore Oh yeah, um, Omnivore's plate has to have the the Paris jazz. You know, you, you know, as we as we were talking about this, and I was I was thinking through, you know, wow, this could be this could be the conversation of what your influence is, because you know, a lot of times what happens with me is I get a, a gig or a, a project that I'm working on, and like there was a. There was this band, I don't know, three or four years ago that said, yeah, we're doing nothing but 1920s and 30s jazz, like you were talking about. That right, small yeah. combo, you know, guitar, sax, bass, drums, vocalist. And so I delved headfirst into, into this and was like, okay, this is really cool. And you start picking up stuff and you, and you get your favorites. And I, and I still enjoy listening to that. And, and I think that, you know... As as my musical taste has evolved, the the omnivore aspect I think comes from having to learn stuff and then go, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, brought up like you know you and I've talked about before. Brought up in a bluegrass slash classic country tradition with my parents, and then my yeah. pro first professional gig was with a bluegrass band when I was in my teens. So you know the. I really have a taste for bluegrass that people would go, really? You like bluegrass? I, yes, I do. And, you know, but when it comes to stuff like I was attracted to when I was developing, developing my own, like, internal playlist of stuff that I really liked, and, and you, you and I have already talked about this a couple of times, us, us being, you know, uh, true children of the 80s. Um, right, uh, right. Or at least our teen years, the musical years that we grab onto yeah. is that 80s. You know, we, we talked about the Ultravox thing in, in Vienna, what a just marvelous album that is. And it, it I listened to it the other day. It, musically, it still kind of hangs in there. I mean, it, it is kind of <laughs> 80s campy. With, right. the, with the instrumentation because it's heavy heavy synthesizer and, and a lot of electronica but a lot of the stuff that they were doing you can hear in there's a there's a, a subgenre of the jam band scene called jamtronica which is uh -huh. uh, based on a lot of that synthesized pop from the 80s with uh, with some jam aspect to it and you know I, I find myself attracted to that as well and you know that's it's one of the few musical genres that I don't really want to play. 
Um, you know, it's and it and it, right, and a lot of that has to do with the lack of keyboard skills that I have. But a lot of it is too. It's like I don't want to know. I don't want to know what's in the soup. <laughs> I just want. I just want to do that. So, but you know, speaking of the '80s stuff, I mean, there, yeah, there, there's some there's some crazy stuff. I, not crazy. All right, some of it's crazy stuff. Um, I, I'm like you. I like that Euro. What they call the Euro trash sound. That Ultravox. Um, oh yeah, uh, that, that yeah. kind of stuff. But uh, and uh, MTV certainly helped lift that up too, and give that a new market exactly. uh, to break into America. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a favorite artist that kind of, and I think because of my admiration for what he was doing, even back in the late seventies and early eighties, and carrying it through, and just. You know, each album was different, like Joe Jackson. Yeah. And, you know, uh, is she really going out with him? Kind of set him as a new wave guy, but then he came out with Night and Day. Night and Day, yeah. And that is one of my, that's one of my On a Desert Island albums, because I could listen to that anytime. It, it's it, because it stands the test of time. It's, it does, it does smack of the 80s a little bit, but it's really good stuff. And then, my second favorite album, and I'm not just talking about Joe Jackson album, but maybe one of my second favorite albums is he did an album called Joe Jackson Jump and Jive, where he he found mm-hmm. the nine best uh, little big band players in England that he could find, and he did an album of all these great 1940s big band songs. He he sang them, played played piano on a couple, played. Um, uh, vibes on a couple and it is just an outstanding snapshot of you know 1940s music with with an 80s vision i guess it was late 80s i guess by that point but it was it's just so so good and and so um in in the genre i mean he didn't it wasn't like he played at it they he got good players and he studied and he figured out how to make it sound like a big band um, yeah, and yeah, and then you know the later stuff that he did. It w- every time he went into the studio, something else evolved. It wasn't like the same thing over and over again. So you know, I'm thinking like when you're talking about the '80s, we are '80s kids. There are there is a couple of uh, things that were breaking open genre wise that are still part of my listening. Um, the the first of these is is uh, is the, a lot of the '80s hip hop that came before what we now know as rap or even contemporary hip hop was very much street and party music and a lot of it really coming out of New York. Right. And so, you know, you have that window of time between, I'll say, beginning with uh, Debbie, Harry, and Blondie uh, doing um, Rapture, Rapture <laughs> and saying, look, this is a sound, it's happening, and we want to illustrate that, we want to call it out. This is part of the soundtrack of the, of, of the street in New York that, where we're living, which was fantastic. And you go all the way to the end of, uh, of the 80s, uh, and it kind of concludes around 89 with... Um, uh, incredible sampling and, and beats by the BC Boys and a whole new political attitude, uh, and that would be Paul's Boutique, and a whole new political attitude uh, with Fear of a Black Planet by a public enemy. Right. And, you know, in the middle, you have a lot of different, uh, a lot of different, um, uh, a lot of different people. I don't pretend to be the, the key listener or the expert in it, but I will listen to a lot of stuff like, you know, Eazy-E and uh, uh, African Bambada, 
uh, Soul Sonic Force. That I, Planet Rock is an album I'll still put I, on. I, all right, so we've had our first. I did not see that coming moment. <laughs> um, yeah, because yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I, I kind of know the genre a little bit, but evidently you know it better than I. You know, um, there was a moment in time where that was very popular in my high school. Um, right. Um, Cameo and oh, sure. uh, Moore's Day in the Time, Prince, that whole thing. I mean, Prince is his own thing. You cannot, fi- I cannot find anybody that says, I don't like any of Prince's songs. <laughs> I'm calling crap. <laughs> okay, so let's put that on the omnivorous plate. I don't really know anyone um, who I really connect with that would say yeah i just can't get into prince at all nothing <laughs> the end I'm like wow yeah, right um yeah I yeah either i don't i don't believe either don't believe you or i don't trust you i don't know i'm going with don't trust you at that point because <laughs> as soon as, as soon as something hot drops from prince they're going to be like oh i forgot about this song this is uh, good oh yeah, yeah, yeah right yeah. yeah yeah you forgot about that yeah. one um <laughs> him doing kiss you know, i mean that that's just you can't help but move to that song but anyway we digress because <laughs> that that's like meat and potatoes of the omnivore prince you know that kind of thing sure yeah um, i I'm, i can't get away from the 80s quite yet because there's a there's sure. a couple on my notepad i want to talk about and okay. get your um get your feedback on that one of them is soft cell oh yeah they yeah. had the big hit tainted love right Sure, uh-huh. And um, so being the the diligent record buyer I was at that point, I'm like, ooh, if this is good, let me see what the rest of the album sounds like. So I went and bought Nonstop Erotic Cabaret. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Have you listened to this album? Not in a really long time, but I did have oh my it God, way back in time. It's yeah. filthy. The, sex dwarf. <laughs> and, That's why I'm laughing, yeah. yeah. All right, so I'm not... I'm not you owned no. it, so I'm not blowing you away on that one. Okay. No. <laughs> oh, but it was such a oh the album was great though. I mean and and basically, you know, that's that's kind of the thing. Maybe maybe we do get to an aha moment. And I'm I, I can't name drop, I just enjoy the music so so much. Is uh-huh. the BPM style. Electronic music. Really? Yes, dude. I will I will put that on just going down the road. I'll 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 pull it up on on the phone and get it going through the radio and just jam on it for a while. And again, there are so many really good musicians doing that and 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 it's very much like um you're going to sound this is going to sound silly or maybe it won't. It's a lot like baroque music in that it's very predictable, but there is a beauty in the predictability. It's uh-huh. like you can feel, oh, he's getting ready to drop the bass right about mm, there. <laughs> and and it's, it's the same thing with Bach. You can almost feel when something's about to happen and you go, oh, yeah. And and that, that predictability kind of gives a familiarity to it that I'm just like, I really like it, you know. Uh, so yeah i did not you know actually i'm 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 uh i'm mind blown right now i did not see that coming <laughs> i honestly did it oh, nice um, so the score is now yeah. one to one yeah we are now one and one um so uh let me let me collect myself from my surprise and say also in the 80s there was a bit of a revival around um around rockabilly mm. around roots guitar driven rock and roll in its rawest form three caps 
Stray Cats. Now they they really um, you know they were more than just an act. They really uh, they really defined. A, well, they lived a the whole. lifestyle. It wasn't just. It, yeah. You know, it was. It basically it's the same thing as the Who, in 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 their big time in the mid mid to late sixties with the mod look. They, right, the mod thing. They yeah. weren't just doing it on stage. That's how they lived their life even before they were truly truly famous. And it's same way with the with the stray cats. Um, they 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 lived that lifestyle. It wasn't something that they they doctored up for the stage. So that introduced all kinds of other flavors of rockabilly or psychobilly. It was really not just them. A lot of people think, oh, just the stray cats. But you know, you don't even evolve into something like. Uh, by the mid '90s, something like su- Southern Culture on the Skids, oh. without this do, rockabilly do you know revival coming. They have, they have Roanoke connections. My hometown. Oh, really? Yeah, I think one of the. I think it may be the bass player. I think she's from Roanoke. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, wow, I, that's. Cool. I remember seeing them in Salem, Virginia, when I was in college. Before they got like huge, huge, they were still playing yeah. the college bar scenes, and yeah, go down there and throw chicken bones at them. Okay, well, I, I still sing eight-piece box when I get fried chicken, <laughs> which was on a dirt track date. You on right, you do. Yeah, and I like, uh, so I not only like uh, that and sort of that, um, that, that uh, Dwayne Eddy into Gene Vincent into, you know, Bo Diddley, all that, all those uh, early early um guitar rock and roll guitarist sounds i even like it when it's kind of turned on its head and made into something punk and and a little bit psycho uh like the cramps um i love me some cramps man bad music for bad people right yes yeah yeah. you know who else did that um took that rockabilly sound was adam ant that first first album he did after it was adam and the ants and he became adam ant um Oh, uh, Goody Two Shoes. That was on that album. Goody Two Shoes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, desperate, but not serious. You know, it's just guitar twang over that that eighties kind of drive, and it's just it's fabulous. So uh, you know, since you name checked uh, Adam and the Ants, I gotta say though, you know, before Adam Ant went out on his own, and I know we're talking about eighties stuff, and you know what, there's plenty to plumb here. So why don't we just keep going with it? <laughs> right. Uh, my brother and I still occasionally uh, talk about um, two records by them, uh, which were Kings of the Wild Frontier and then Prince Charming. Yes. So they were like 81, 82. Right, right, right. And what they were doing with those two records, you know, I don't think anyone got it at the time. It was just the weirdest but very cool hodgepodge of ideas they were putting together. You know, some Latin beats, some spaghetti Western guitar, um you know certain new wave and punk rock sounds i mean all being put in this blender with a sort of this swashbuckling new romantic we are buccaneer highwayman aesthetic and fashion and persona i mean it i mean they were they were like a traveling stage show of of their of their own making but the music was really really interesting and i find that when i go back and listen to it i'm like this is not just nostalgia they had something that was very unique whether you like it or you don't it's definitely uh their own thing right and uh but those two records uh, you know anyway i'm getting excited now because you called it out i'm like how did i forget that i still listen to that right yeah Uh, you know, I and, and and thinking through this, and I was kind of like pulling out, like, you know, I, was, I think we go through this list. It's like, okay, everybody understands and knows me that 
I'm going to, they know that I'm going to listen to jazz. So that's not a big surprise. Right. Folks that know me, you know, even remotely know me, know that I've also played in a couple of symphonies around town. So symphony stuff is not going to surprise them. Sure. Sure. Uh, B- BPM surprised you. Yeah. Oh yeah. That surprised me. I mean, I made a note here that, you know, um, although I probably don't talk about it with you, I mean, I, there is it within, um, within the, the greater classical realm. I mean, there is particular stuff that I like. I like, you know, box cello concertos as you should I like Chopin. Yeah. As I should, of course, uh, Chopin's mazurkas are really cool. Uh, Mozart's Requiem is obviously its own tour de force, and there's a certain well, I, I think, uh, I th- drama around that. And I think when we get to the classical stuff, you know, the one thing that I had to wrap my head around, you know, coming up, you know, my, my I did an undergrad in music, uh-huh. and wrapping your head around the history, it's like there is so much good stuff out there that we barely hear about because it's not Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, Brahms, you know, the, the big heavy sure. hitters. There's all these... Mm-hmm. All these guys that were journeymen that had like one or two, like they had the one hit wonder of their time. And it's really, <laughs> right. really good, but we don't know about it because, it, you know, it's, it's not Mozart or Vivaldi or whatever. Right. But Right. Or even, uh, you know, uh, someone who didn't live as long and maybe not quite as prolific like Schubert. Uh, but, you know, you listen to the Trout Quintet mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you're like, wow, how is this not, you know, how is this not standard listening? How did this not make Bugs Bunny? That's what I want to know. Exactly. <laughs> And that's how we all learned about classical music to start with. <laughs> right. It's funny that the, the cartoons we learn about rhythm and blues and an Americana from uh, schoolhouse rock. Right. We learn about jazz from the peanuts. <laughs> yeah. Our cartoon diet of musical education is a subtext. And then the Warner Brothers cartoons gave us all those great classical moments that we still like, we'll hear it in a concert. We're like, Oh, Right. A side note, though, I will say this: there were I, I was huh. playing with the Lynchburg Symphony the first go round. This is when I first moved to the Central Virginia area, so this is back nineties, I guess, mid nineties. Mm-hmm. And um, we're we're doing an outdoor concert, and the compo the uh, conductor and music director starts handing out music for this event, and that we always we always end up doing a Sousa march at at these things. You know, it's usually you know. Uh, you know, one of the famous ones, you know, and he passes out one and it's the Liberty Bell March. And I start giggling immediately. <laughs> yeah. You you know what? That's the theme for. Yeah. Yes, I do. Well, evidently yeah. there was a bunch of folks in the Lynchburg Symphony that missed that. Because <laughs> when we got to the appropriate moment, there was only like three of us that went bump, but dump but dump yeah, and, and everybody looked at us like, "What in the? Oh my! What was that all about?" And then we had to explain it, and therefore the joke's not funny. So anyway, no. if you're if you're curious, if you're out there listening, if you're curious, go and Google YouTube uh, Liberty Bell March, and it should be. If you have any sense of humor, it will be fairly evident fairly quickly. So, in in, in saying all that, there are some things that. Um, you know that I, one of the classes I had to take when I finished my degree a couple of years ago. I I went to school, changed degrees, went back and finished my music degree because it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I just feel good about it. it. Didn't didn't make any difference in what I was doing, but it just makes me feel good to say that it's done. 
And the one of the last classes I had to take was 20th century theory, which was what we would consider modern music. And I did not have an ear for that at all. I, yai, 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 yai. It was just screaming and breaking glass is all I could hear. <laughs> until, Wait, was was that like, you mean like sort of like Stravinsky and in that period of time, or do you mean further forward? No, Stra- like, uh, from Stravinsky on just basically from about <laughs> the... Um, Oh, you could you could do uh, Debussy from Debussy on. Debussy is considered okay. the first like modern composer that didn't s- stick to standard uh, music theory at the time. It was just like, oh, this is pretty, and and so I I had to develop an ear for it. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, this is kind of cool. So your homework, boys and girls, is to go out and uh, look at John Cage's Sonata Number no. Five for prepared piano. He actually sticks nuts, bolts, and screws and pieces of rubber in the piano. And it's the most amazing thing you'll ever hear. And you may just go, oh, that's cool, and go on. But I, I just you know, fell in love with it. And it kind of opened my ears to, to, to modern, what we would call modern classical music. Well, I wrote down that I wanted to see if you listened to what I call um, unlistenable art. Yoko Ono? And- <laughs> well, it might be unlistenable. <laughs> um, I was thinking more in terms of things like um, uh, certain butthole surfer tracks, Captain Beefheart. Um, certain Zappa pieces are are um, intended to be aggressive and and uh, and and, and yes. defy you to change it. Yes, and but it has to be in context because most of those things were written as a as a spot in an album. They were never meant to be on their own. So that a lot of these were just they were they were specifically written and put in that place for a reason and you can't get context unless you listen to what came before it and what comes after it. Right. Sure. So if somebody were to throw one on and say, Hey, listen to this, I'm going to go, ah, but if they say, Hey, (laughs) listen to these three tunes in succession. And it comes to that. Yeah. I'm like, all right, there's a reason for this. And there usually is. There's a big pay, especially with Frank Zappa. I mean, yeah, especially with Zappa. He, I follow you. He yeah. was he was playing chess twelve steps ahead of everybody musically. Oh yeah, yeah. And he could he could tug on the tug on the emotions with with the, with the sonic <laughs> veracity. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, uh, so um, you know, Zappa could probably be his own conversation, but I think he he has a. Uh, he he certainly has a a presence on the omnivore plate. Oh yeah, um, you know, um, and I don't even pretend to be very versed in him. I mean, uh, uh, apostrophe, overnight sensation, uh, Joe's Garage. I mean, I know a few albums by him, right? But you know, he was so prolific, and he tried out so many different things, um, and and brought along so many amazing players. Yeah, I mean, I think Steve Vai played with him for a while there at the end, and. Man, you got to be a real guitar player to hang with that mess because there's a lot of stuff going on. And and, and Steve Vai's <laughs> another one. I, I know you, you get the hair hair band image of him with the with the pop bands that he played with, or the heavy metal, the hair metal bands he played with. But a couple of his solo albums are really really good, and and they're more on the avant garde side. I mean, it's it's cool stuff. So I'll admit I'm not familiar. I mean, I I I know. 
Steve Vai, of course, and, you know, way back in time along the way, I've known people who were very much into guitar and their guitar study. And, you know, um, they, they were, they were big Steve Vai fans. Well, he's a, he's a technical God on the, on the guitar. Yeah. I mean, he really is, but, um, Oh, what is it? Oh, shoot. I'm going to have to do a quick search. So if you hear me typing, you're going to hear me typing. I don't okay. Care. You go for it. Um, I can't remember the, can't remember the names. Fill the time while I'm typing, man. That's kind of rude. Okay, so while you were looking that up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'll hop over to something else, something short, okay. and we can come back. Um, there's something on the world music stage that I don't really even know how to describe, and I don't know if you've heard it. And it's it would be it it almost defies description, and you would think I'm making it up, but it's it's music from these people in western the Western Saharan region, like like between Morocco and Mali. Dude, I thought you were going to drop like Mongolian throat singing no. for a second. <laughs> no, okay, no, it's not. No, 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 no. That's that's the thing. The thing is, this is not. Um, it's not a traditional music. They're using electric guitars. Oh. And it, I think they're called the the Tuareg people. Yes. I, I know yes, how, yes. 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 Um, so, they they uh, it's it's hard to describe their style. It's like this. Um, they're 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 borrowing from their own folk melodies, which is the first thing, right. which makes it sets it apart. But but they they they, they have um, cultivated the style of playing and and looping and and what they do on these guitars with a distinct rock sound that's indescribable and um um anyway so you have heard of it i'm going to tell you i'm not doing it justice but i've been tapping into that lately um there's an there's I'm, an american jam band that is out of that tradition and i'm trying to remember their name now i'm, I'm doing really bad with names by the way it was flexible and uh passion and warfare were the first two that i discovered and he's done tons of albums after that because he can but those really defined they were early on really defined steve i's like own sound the second one you named um, passion and warfare passion of yeah yeah, yeah. um that's the one that I used to hear referenced quite a bit. Yeah, and there was an earlier one that was in '90, and in '84 he had done Flexable, and that was uh -huh. that was you know towards the 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 tail end of some project he was working on, and he just went into the studio and wrote this this thing. It's just like uh, wow, <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> so I got a question for you. Yeah, uh, what's your thoughts on they might be giants? Uh, you know, um. You know, well, first of all, I'll say this. I thought that they were, I thought that they were something else when I first heard them. I really liked them. They, um, I, I don't, you know, I can't speak for everyone's sense of whether or not they hold up, but I was definitely impressed by what they were doing. Um, particularly when I first heard, I think it was Istanbul. Yes. Uh, you know, um, and I, I have some friends that you can't even say Istanbul without them making a remark that it was Constantinople. Yes. So it tells you an idea of how, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> how deep they landed. Yep. I mean, they did land deep. Um, and I think that um, maybe they subverted their own legacy a little bit by doing that uh, theme to Big Bang Theory. Maybe. Uh, um, 
yeah. I, I, I would say that I get tired of hearing them because I because of that song. I've heard that song so many times uh, uh, by by proxy. But you know what? I'm not turning up my nose at it. I'm saying, yeah, there's something, and uh, but they're not something that's a go-to for me. Gotcha. I I really enjoyed how they kind of they're in that same vein as Devo was early on. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you know it's like yeah. we're going to make good music, and we're going to make you think while we're making good music. And if you think too much about it, then it's incredibly good music. <laughs> that was right. that was the thing about Devo that everything was so simplistic musically. But once you got into the oh god, just but beyond the superficial with them was just oh. <laughs> so hey is there anything since we're talking about being omnivores it goes with an understanding that you and i are interested in trying it all out sure. but it's always the exception that rules the rule is there anything where you're like yeah i just really you know no thank you this is just not something i want to listen to mm -hmm. is there anything specifically or categorically or at least where you're just like i'll try yeah no thanks where it's going to last 10 seconds mm. all right i'll go first you go first because i have to think about okay. that okay um there are there is a subgenre of eight byte music of taking songs that you know and playing them in an eight by eight byte early nintendo sound right and um you know and and listening to it for enjoyment um i don't enjoy eight byte sounds <laughs> and and i can't imagine i can't imagine taking songs i really 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 enjoy let alone one let's say by uh forgive me for being snobby but one by coldplay and uh and hearing that played in luxurious eight byte um, no, not for me. That's not in the Somnivore's plate. So that would be an example. Sounds extreme, but you know, I, I'm drawing on a real experience here. It's not a hypothetical. <laughs> right. I, I think that the, the nuance of that is that it is, it's a throwback to an old sound for us. Uh -huh. I, and I get that, but it's, it's kind of clever and I've got to apologize to anybody that can be clever and have something like that. Grab, grab traction anytime. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Um, I, you, you know, the problem is, is I could be one of those music guys and, and a lot of, a lot of the guys that I do hang around with and gals for that matter are like, yeah, I can't get into today's pop. Well, if a song is good mm -hmm. enough to get that many plays, then it's probably yeah. worthwhile listening to, you know, I, I, I'm not a big big fan of it but you know every once in a while that that song that plays all summer long you'll go okay i can understand that it's kind of catchy and you're singing the tune and then it becomes sure. an earworm hate song <laughs> but you're you know two years from now you hear it like who let the dogs out was just <laughs> in a now you hear it it's kind of like right. a good time all right yeah i remember this <laughs> oh god do i remember this oh make well, it stop. i remember yeah, yeah i remember one one summer at the pool there was a song by the sos band baby we can do it yep. and over and over again baby we can do it take your time yeah, right. do it right i remember even at the time and i was young being like you know i don't really like this song it's a little repetitive i mean you know in the mind of an 11 year old kid right uh but now i'm a bit nostalgic for it sure it reminds me of being at the at the pool that summer so. yeah and and there's there's always good with bad <laughs> i mean I right think when when you do something like that but um as far as like something i just can't 
that I'll walk away from. Um, yeah. No. All right. I, I, how about this? Okay. How about this? Uh, where do you fall on on the conversation around show tunes? Oh. Um, and I don't. And I don't that, mean like my, jukebox musicals. You know, where it's known songs that have been constructed. No, 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 into no, no, a no, no. I get it. It's like yeah. Oklahoma. Me and my gal. <laughs> right. That thing. Right. All right. So. As alluded to before, I had a I had a, a a start a false start as a music major, and then I switched majors. Um, mm-hmm. My major was theater, and um, I have an aversion to musicals and opera because I had to sit through them six times a week for three weeks at a time. Um, I find the concept of musicals um, hard to get over. I would rather like I do musicals. Look, Lord. If they're going to give me a paycheck, I'll do a musical. I don't, and I'll have fun with it. You know, right? I, wake is wake. Wake is work. I did seventeen seventy six last year at Thomas Jefferson's summer home <laughs> at uh, Poplar Forest, and it was absolutely a wonderful experience. Sure, but it's uh, I've got a problem. Let's sing about it. I'm in love. Let's sing about it. Hey, everybody, <laughs> let's dance. You know, and it, I, I, the willing suspension of disbelief that you need for theater is pushed a little far when you're doing musicals. I'm just, I'm just saying. Have, yeah. Having said that, some of the most beautiful jazz tunes ever recorded are show tunes. Fair M- enough. Yeah. Miles Davis usually included at least one show tune on every album he did for a while. And and they became part of the jazz American songbook of standards. And, you know, you can't, I mean, you can say all you want about it and all that. It's good stuff. I mean, it, it, it's solidly written. I just don't care to listen to it. If I'm, if yeah, I'm not but- on the job, I'm not, I'm not putting on like, you know, um, South Pacific and listening to it with the Broadway cast. That's just not what I'm. But you raise this. You raise a solid point with that. Uh, with with that uh, introduction of Miles Davis and that whole aspect of some show tunes being um, expressed in in a more of a songbook standard, and that is exactly why. Um, I enjoy having conversations with another musical omnivore because I wasn't even thinking of that when I put that on the table. I have a feeling when we, I have a feeling that between now and maybe even the next time we see each other, which I hope isn't too long, you're going to think of more things that you want to talk about with this because I know, I know I am. Yep, indeed, indeed. And as we wrap up this episode, we want to thank those that have chosen to listen. Let your friends know that they can find the Not Necessarily Mad podcast in most places that you find your favorite podcast, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Pandora, and many others, as well as our home at madfamworld.com. You can find a complete list of our podcast outlets, links to things we discuss, photos and extra podcast content on our Facebook page. Search for the Not Necessarily Mad podcast there. Stop by and give us a like. Stay safe.